What's happening, Psycho Freaks? It's been a little bit, and guess what? This is our first podcast with a new microphone. And unfortunately, there's a little buzz to it, so hopefully I can edit that out. But thanks for tuning in. I'm here. I made it. I did it. I've been uh, kind of going through some stuff lately, and we're going to be talking about this podcast. We are going to be talking about the Libertarian National Convention. We're going to be talking about Dutch politics. We are going to be talking about the Buffalo Caucus. All sorts of fun stuff. So grab your coffee, whatever other vice you want, and let's get started. So since last podcast, I've kind of just been trying to be quiet. Gear up for the Libertarian National Convention in Florida. Everything's been very hectic this year, obviously, and I'm kind of sick of the way things have been going. For I've been sick for a long time, both mentally and physically, and part of my message with my helmet is I'm sick of the politics of this country. The politics in this country really do contribute to my mental health. The fact that I can't be a proud libertarian in this country and feel like my voice is being heard, that's only left or right, that makes my head hurt, and that causes some psychological issues. It does feel like I have silenced myself because people keep telling me I'm wrong about stuff. And the whole time, I just want to say, let's debate, motherfuckers. If you think it's only one of two ways, left or right, I say my middle fingers are up, and fuck that, it's not left or right. And the fact that the past however many years, months, whatever time frame, you know, I want to insert my thoughts into this conversation, I haven't been able to feel proud. I haven't felt pride in libertarian values. And there's some conflicts, obviously. There's some things that, you know, libertarian values don't decide every political issue. For example, I was at the convention this weekend and was talking with some folks, and one of the things that we talked about is, hey, child welfare, like, what do you do? And one of the problems is just kind of assigning individual rights to children instead of looking at them as wards of the state or whatever when it when you go into the welfare state, I heard some some stories this weekend and was inspired by a lot of people and saw a lot of great leadership. But at one point driving home this weekend, I kind of reflected and was like, wow, I can actually say that I'm a proud libertarian now. And that's with a big L. Because for, for so long, I've thought of it as kind of dirty in a way. You know, being the, the ANCAP the small L libertarian and just wanting to focus on theory just because, you know, so f- the actual real world is so far away from libertarian values. At times it's just like, wow, how are you ever going to get there? And you forget, well, I don't forget, but it just seems like a huge hurdle and mountain to climb in this political system because the political system is not what it should be. I'm not the only one that thinks that. I mean, look at how many people don't vote and don't support 
the politics and the system of this country. And it's time for the unseen to be heard. Because if you've listened to this before, I am a supporter of economics. I have talked about the seen and the unseen. The first lesson of economics that I learned from Henry Hazlitt's Economics in One Lesson. And there's a lot of voices that aren't heard, and it's time for those unseen voices, those unheard voices, to be heard. And this gets to one of the issues in the Libertarian Party, not even part of the presidential debates. The the commission that sets up the presidential debates is totally corrupt. It's a two-party debate format, and there's no way they make it so hard for anyone else to get on that debate stage to present their message to the American public. And going forward, you know, one of the messages I'm going to be pumping is let her speak. Hashtag let her speak, and that's to let Joe Jorgensen, the libertarian presidential candidate, speak at the debates. Because I want, I want to hear her hashtag check privilege on these Democrats and Republicans this upcoming election. Let's just say that on the debate stage. And I think it would be so fun to see Dr. Jojo put on a wild jersey and check Donald Trump and Joe Biden on the ice at the Excel Center at some point this election cycle. That would be hilarious. That would be so much fun. Yeah, I mean, this is the reason in 2016 I couldn't get behind like Hillary Clinton is because she's a cunt. Fuck Hillary Clinton. Uh, And all this never Trump stuff that happened in 2016, that's why I said hashtag N-O-T-A NOTA, none of these assholes, and put my middle finger up to everyone that said that I should be voting for the lesser of two evils because my principles don't allow me to vote for evil like that. I think someone's bad. I'm not going to vote for them. I'm not going to vote for the lesser of two evils. And I definitely abstained in 2016 from voting because of all that nonsense language I was hearing. You can not vote in this country. You shouldn't have other people make you feel shitty for not voting in something you believe in. If you don't believe in something, and everyone tells you to vote for it anyways, fuck them. You need to believe it yourself. If someone has earned your vote, they have earned your vote. But if someone doesn't earn your vote, keep that shit and say fuck you. That's what I say. That's some Dutch politics stuff. And why Dutch politics? It's because I am a representative of the school of Austrian economics. That is what I study. I study lots of things, but I would like to make a commitment to being a teacher of Austrian economics. And you've listened to this podcast before, so you've heard about me talking how politics and economics are kind of the same coin. I look at them on the same coin, essentially, except where the point of action is. And, you know, I've really been trying to figure out how to, like, formalize 
both sides of the economic and political economic and political spectrum. And one of the ways that I'm kind of bridging the gap between the two is I'm trying to bring the terminology from Austrian economics and I want to apply it to politics. Because there are some political methods that arise out of them being out of politics being different than economics and operating in the polis rather than the market. Because politics does become a closed system. And by example, for example, I was part of a closed political system this past weekend. So people are going to politic whether or not you want them to politic. And that's part of the market too. And you need to be able to defend yourself from those people politicking. And I think the Libertarian Party is the shield that guards people from bad politics. I don't look at it as an offensive political weapon. It is a defensive political tool. And the other parties are more offensive in what they try to do. And I kind of view the Libertarian Party as being defensive. This past weekend, I asked one of the delegates who was running to be the face of the Libertarian Party this year. He wanted to be the chair of the Libertarian Party. And I asked him, Jacob, I have been struggling with doing politics as someone who believes in anarchy. I have not believed that politics are the answer for quite some time. And I would like to know how you bridged that gap, because I can tell that we came from a similar place. And it turns out he's, you know, a skate punk, maybe 10. I can't remember if he's like 10 years or older than me. He's a little older, but he lives out in Washington. And immediately I saw just how similar we were in some things and saw all of his great leadership qualities. So I asked him, how did you kind of go from where I'm at to where you're at? being an anarchist now who is trying to be the face of the Libertarian Party. And I'm not saying that he is currently still an anarchist or if that is part of his current belief system, because remember, we're dynamic, not static, even with our beliefs. And I can't speak to what he thinks now. But we were on the same path. I'm just on a different point on the path. And I had to ask. I wanted to ask, you know, how do you justify it? And he went to a HAPA argument right away, but I'm not against that because I want to make it easy for everyone. And essentially, this is what he used as an example. He says, so the state has weapons it's going to use against you, and it has these weapons that you do not have access to. So you have to use every tool available to you to fight back. And if voting and doing politics is just a small arrow in comparison to a Gatling gun, you just need to make sure that you have a lot of fucking arrows, your quiver's full, and you just keep firing them. And if this is a way to have an arrow in the quiver, then you should use it. If the state gives you the quiver, don't be afraid to fire arrows back at it. And this is the way to do it. If you don't believe in stuff, you have to find who's going to defend the things you believe in. And I don't 
agree with Democrats. I don't agree with Republicans. Uh, I think that the Libertarian Party does have a very good principle that they try to base everything off of, and it is the party of principle. One of the things I feel differentiates from differentiates me from a lot of other people, even in the party, is being principled. If you know your principles, you can argue them anytime, any place, anywhere. You don't need to have further reading. You don't need to have further input from someone. You don't need to have anyone else involved. If you base your decisions on principles and the logical extension of those principles, you're all good. And I know that I have never, like me as a person, you can't say that I have represented the principles of non-aggression throughout my whole life. I have not. You know, I came to this belief and trying to live it later in life. And I definitely have broken the non-aggression principle in my past. I think that's why I support it so much now. It's out of guilt. And one of the things I've always felt guilty about is I thought my parents were criminals growing up because of some things I learned in public school. FYI, that's why I don't like public school so much. Public school, one of the things, one of the programs taught me that my parents were criminals. And it really, really fucked up my relationship with my family. And a lot of my issues do originate in the family. And a lot of my psychological issues result from me feeling like I can't speak. And some of those things I feel like I can't speak about relate to politics because I do have some very, very firm beliefs about politics that aren't even on the left-right spectrum that people just demonize me for. But I like to set the goalposts. Left and right, they set goalposts. And one of the challenges as being a lesser-known political party is that no one knows where our goalposts are. So I have to set them very firmly. And there's the dog. We'll have to edit that out. So I'm not scared to set the goalposts, you know, I realize that issues fall in between the goalposts. If you want to score, it's got to go in between. There's that spectrum. But I'm not afraid to set the goalposts and be very vocal about where they're at. And that goes down, comes back to free speech. If you feel like you can't even proclaim what you believe in, there's something wrong with that. And I felt like that for a long time in my household, amongst my friends, social settings, businesses, lots of stuff. I haven't, feel, I haven't felt like my voice can be heard or will be heard. But now I'm thinking gold and bold. I've finally been in a room full of lots of great libertarian leadership, which I've never been around before. So I feel like I can call myself, you know, a proud libertarian now seeing all the great leadership in the party because I've had blinders up for a long time just because I didn't want to get false impressions about people in the party. For example, the chair Nicholas Sarwark, 
I had only ever heard bad stuff about him, and I didn't want that to cloud my judgment going forward into this. I know that he was not trying to become the chair again this year. He was stepping down his chair. He stepped down his chair at our online convention, and he was a dick, kind of an asshole, maybe part of the Circle Jerk Caucus. I don't know. I didn't want to know going into this past weekend. I wanted to just look at him as an individual human being, which is what libertarians believe in. I realized that he has been something else than he has been more than an individual human being for his six years serving. I think it was six years serving as the chair. He has been the face of the Libertarian Party, and he has had to carry stuff with him that makes him more than an individual human being. And I can tell you that I saw things in him that were just like his struggle to want to be a person again. So whatever issues that people had or have had, I tried to see past that and see each person as an individual and not as what they had to do in their capacity as a representative of the party. I know a lot of people are pissed off at how he represented the party. But I had to give him a hug because I learned a lot, I've learned a lot from him just over the course of even the online convention. One of the things that made me kind of be in a, stopped me from being a Star Wars hater was someone told me, hey, whatever it is you think about Star Wars, he's a great parliamentarian, so pay attention to that. So I have been. That's one of the issues is people being able to follow these rules that we agree to that we consent to because these rules do move business along it's hilarious to be involved in a political party full of anarchists who you know the public's like oh a bunch of rule breakers but we're the most vocal about following the rules because we agree to these rules and uh it's just hilarious to see like this dichotomy in the party a spectrum of people. You have the hardcore anarchists all the way up to the super pragmatic people, and there's everything in between. There's a lot of diverse beliefs. So it was nice being able to, to see him as a person and see all these people as people instead of what my preconceived notions may have been going into the convention, having never dealt with these people before. I believe politics is something that is very important to do in person. After doing the online convention, it was like, all right, this is why we can't have some nice things online, just because you can't feel the room. You can't feel the emotions of the people. Politics, you want to feel the room. You want to feel what the people are feeling like for some things, because there are issues that aren't based on principles, firmly established principles. You have to decide some things that, you know, will split the room. And if you can't feel the room, I mean, it makes it difficult to make some of these decisions. And the first day of the convention was basically a fight between the people who had uh, attended in person and the people who stayed at home and were participating online. And with everything in 2020 happening, there had to be a lot of things decided about how to make this available to people online because in the bylaws it was unclear. And as a minor political party, 
I feel like it's very important to defend yourself against the major political parties and not have a lawsuit filed against you for not following your own rules. So day one was essentially a big fight between what we decided online over Memorial Day weekend, whether we had adopted it, whether those online people would be heard, and then whether or not, you know, the people in the convention all that day that showed up were going to be the real convention. So going out of the online convention, it was essentially agreed upon. We were convening to a later date in Orlando where we would adopt everything from the online convention and then move forward. To set that up on day one, to adopt it, was just a clusterfuck. We tried to do a lot of things that didn't work, but eventually after, you know, everyone being a part of the Circle Jerk Caucus, I think that's how we can all feel. That's how I kind of felt. You know, that was a waste of time. That the big issue was the online delegation trusting the in-person delegation that we would uphold what we decided at the online convention. That was that was the big the big thing I thought was it was about trust, whether or not the in-person delegation was going to accept the online delegation. And you know, I was fully in support of that. I made an agreement. I agreed with everything that we convened with the online convention. We were, I, I need, I felt like the need was there to participate in person because I think politics does need to be in person. I'm not saying that the people that attended online uh, weren't valuable. I will say they're less valuable right now because it takes a lot more work to attend in person, I get I get the values, the conflict of the conflicts that people may have faced about attending in person, but I still believe that politics should be done in person. So I think that there is more value to showing up than staying home. I do believe that value is subjective. If you don't agree with me, uh I'll at least say that your the political value of what you did online will mature on November 3rd. How's that? How's that for some Dutch politics right there? If you get what I'm saying, which the Buffalo Caucus would understand this language as fellow Misesians, uh, then yeah, it's whatever. So there's all that stuff happening this past weekend. I don't have notes or anything in front of me. I'm just kind of rambling on because I need to get a lot of this stuff out. I'm not ready to do my more organized podcasts yet and I just wanted to talk start putting out podcasts before I kill the psycho freak at the end of July that's right I will be shelving this podcast since I started it I've always said it was a tool and it's kind of an audio diary more than a podcast but I would like to actually start recording real podcasts soon with better content instead of me just rambling and I have some ideas. One of the ideas is calling it the Buffalo Caucus to represent some of my ideas regarding politics and economics. Um, kind of showing how things happen in action 
one of the cool things about the party is you form all these caucuses and one of the caucuses that I, the first caucus I joined in the Libertarian Party was the Radical Caucus. Uh, and I guess I didn't really join, but I just kind of said I was a radical. I was recruited by a radical at an event. I was like, hey, all this stuff sounds like me. So maybe I should read the principles of the Radical Caucus just so you can get a better idea of what the caucuses are. So the caucuses are basically subgroups that follow the principles of the party, but then choose to set their own principles. Um, trying to find their like one through whatever things. I have a few different pieces of literature in front of me that I gathered that I thought would be of interest to my friends. Uh, I grabbed the Radical Caucus's pamphlet on traditional civil liberties, our global community, and children and families. Okay, here's everything. So, the Radical Caucus. The Libertarian Party Radical Caucus. To all the new people who have discovered an interest in the Libertarian Party, welcome. There are nearly half a million registered Libertarians in the 27 states where it is not illegal to register as a Libertarian. But you may be wondering, what makes us different from the other parties? Since our founding in 1971, we have called for 1. Repeal of all drug prohibition. 2. Replacing inefficient, wasteful, and brutal government services with private sector alternatives. 3. Abolishing government indoctrination centers, public schools. 4. Eliminating all foreign aid, regardless of how evil or good the recipient nation is. 5. Ending all military adventurism and the removal of all U.S. military assets from foreign lands. 6. Repealing all regulations on guns. 7. The abolition of the Federal Reserve and for sound, free market money. 8. The elimination of all corporate and individual welfare and subsidies. 10. The privatization of transportation infrastructure. 11. Oops, I skipped one. 9. The complete separation of government and health care, and for abolishing medical regulation and licensing. 11. An end to government meddling and private voluntary agreements, such as minimum wage laws and requirements that businesses recognize unions. 12. Eliminating all restrictions on the right of people to cross imaginary lines which, if you've been following me recently, has been kind of my number one protest that I've been participating in, because fuck imaginary lines. And then one of the funny things is, if you think that I should be deported or punished for crossing imaginary lines, I would like to be treated like all of the other people getting deported from this country. So... Be sure to look into what happens to people when they get deported in this country. The alphabet agency ICE, ICE, what they do to people. So my little play on words to help support that message that what I think they're doing, separating families by deporting people from this country who come trying to seek a better life, 
my way of protesting and fighting that is standing in solidarity by saying the Port Van Sickle Vanilla Ice. And, you know, it's a play on privilege and all these other things. But no, I don't believe in what this country does to immigrants. And I stand in solidarity with them. If you're going to be porting those people, deport Van Sickle. Deport me to the Netherlands, where I'm from, where I belong. Dutch politics. <laughs> um, that's the That's kind of the message to stand in solidarity with them. Hashtag vanilla ice. And the real story is, you know, there's there's camps. There's internment camps on the border right now. One of the places that they send people to is a town in Arizona. Let me find out what this town is called. Darn it. I didn't have it saved. But there's a town in Arizona. You'll have to look to the new chairman of the Libertarian Party, Joseph Bishop Henchman, JBH, because this is an issue that he thinks every Libertarian should know, and I agree with him. We should know about the internment camps on the border for quote-unquote illegal immigrants. This is the party that believes that people should be able to come to this country and seek a better life. And there are people that want to put restrictions on it and everything, but this party believes in private property rights, and if I have property, I can invite whoever I want from anyone in the world onto that property. And that's essentially the, the big message behind the Libertarian Party. What are borders that can be regulated are private property borders. Libertarians don't believe in government borders necessarily. It's one of those things in our platform that I take pride in, is the ability to cross imaginary lines is a right. But the private property, different story. I'm not going to be hopping any fences unless they're government fences. Let's see, number 13, an end to all marriage regulation and licensure, as well as for an end to all government discrimination for or against lesbians, gays, bisexuals, trans individuals, and heterosexuals. And then, I mean, what I've done personally in my life to fight laws regarding that is I have now become ordained. So I've officiated two weddings. I'll officiate any wedding that someone wants me to. And I'll do it for the state or for private matters. I mean, I don't think that the government should be involved in marriage at all. That's between the parties involved. They can contract with themselves, and I don't believe that you should have to contract with the state for tax purposes. Or what other purposes you want to contract your marriage with the state for. I think all people should be treated as equals, and that marriage sets up, you know, unequal rights, you could say. And the last one, we have called for the abolition of all laws restricting freedom of association and for the elimination of all subsidies, regulation, special rights, privileges, penalties, preferential treatment, either for or against any subset of individuals or favored groups since our founding in 1971. And then to follow up on 
their actual 14 listed things that they support. The bottom of this literature, it says libertarians believe people should be able to marry who they want, gamble if they want. I'm going to add hell yeah. Party with a hooker, smoke weed, partake of other recreational drugs, live as a woman or a man if they want. But they should also be left free to start a business without asking for permission, keep their money and property, travel without papers, and enjoy any guns they can afford. So that's the message of the LP Radical Caucus. One of the caucuses that I kind of was a part of this weekend was the Mises Caucus, unofficially. It's going to be interesting to listen to this. I am editing out some stuff. The ums and the tsts. Just because I want this to be better to listen to at this point now that I've kind of learned how to use all the programs. And I'm curious to hear all the little things that happen and figure out how to edit them out. You know, I'm working towards being a better podcaster at this point instead of just getting my ideas out. But I was part of the Mises Caucus essentially as well. I'm not a dues-paying member to ever, but I mean, I support the Mises message. And I wasn't necessarily part of the caucus. I kind of went in there being a a young professional of the Mises Institute. As I am a young professional belonging to the Mises Institute now, I believe in the message of Mises. I believe in all these things like all the people from the Mises Caucus. But I wasn't an official member of the Mises Caucus. And the reason for that partially was I didn't, I mean, I wasn't there in 2018. 2018, I wasn't a part of the National Convention like I had chosen to. I wanted my first time at a National Convention to be one with my blinders kind of up to all the party politics. But a lot of the Mises Caucus was former Ron Paul supporters. And it was so fun to see just like the tactics. I realized after the weekend, I was like, oh shit, this was the Ron Paul stuff that they did. This is the grassroots stuff that this all was unfolding from my eyes and I kind of didn't realize it during it. But this was grassroots packing the slate, trying to make sure you get people into positions that you want to get in. And one of those people was Josh Smith. He was running for LNC chair. And to be honest with you, I wasn't too picky about the LNC chairs. Uh, The three people that debated on stage, I thought any three of them would have made an awesome face of the party. There was Jacob Longmont, Joseph Bishop Henchman, then there was Josh Smith. And I showed up there to support Josh Smith, but JBH and Jacob won me over as leaders in the party. And I knew JBH. I already knew that he had established some leadership and I thought he'd be a great chair, no matter what. And he is he did become the chair of the party. And I fully support, you know, his leadership in the party and being representative of the party. And remember, when I'm talking about all this stuff, I'm still an individual. I'm I still got that this libertarian party stuff is party politics. And I still have my individual politics. I'm speaking of party politics right now because I do view this as a tool to get to the world that I want to see in my lifetime. 
I haven't even talked about Dr. Joe Jorgensen or Spike Cohen yet, but it's whatever. I have a couple days of quarantine. I'm actually quarantining until August now just to wind down and try and get set up for the next few months of my life and to figure things out because attending this convention meant a lot to me and it was one of those hurdles I had to jump to move forward in life. I feel like I've almost been stuck since 2018 on this, even prior to 2018. It's like I have all these beliefs and I don't feel like they're accepted. I feel like an outsider. I feel like an alien. I need to be around people who make me feel good and make me feel like I'm not crazy. So I was really hoping to go to New Orleans and see there's Puck is barking and aggression if I can feel the bark go down my spine. If I can feel that signal be sent from my reptilian brain down my spinal column. It's a great question and libertarians love to debate and I am all about debating legit microaggressions, which is kind of one of the big issues going on in the world right now, is legit medical microaggressions and how you can defend yourself and what constitutes an aggressive act to someone's health when they have established medical concerns. It's an interesting conversation that I don't hear. I mean, I hear people make the argument that you should not aggress upon people, but it is completely absent of any principle. I agree with what they're saying, but there's no principle behind it. And I even just listened to Mark Hyman, which is one of the functional medicine doctors who I look to for leadership. He was talking about masks and vaccines for over 30 minutes and strategies and because Puck is king of this household. I am a subject of Puck. And I need to pause this so I can go out there. Hold on. That's some family politics right there. And it's about consent. I mean, a lot of these issues, there's no, there's no clear answer. And you have to, you have to just kind of draw the line of where consent is, especially in a world today where so many things, in my opinion, could be called microaggressions within the medical community. It's like with me and my mold exposures. If I walk into a building and you haven't disclosed that there's mold in there and you know that there's mold in there, what does that mean? There's Puck again. Hold on. I guess it's, I consent by being in this household to have to deal with Puck, and I get it. It's just the amount of time that I have spent on this family dog when I've been trying to do so many other things in my life. I'm helping my family out with them having a dog, and they're not helping me out, I feel, with some of my you know, goals and stuff in life. It's family politics, and I'm sorry when my family politics bleed out into the world. But it happens. It's frustrating for me. So I need to talk about it. Because if you don't talk about it, 
then it just builds and builds and builds. And even if I write it out, I don't get as much out of me when I write compared to speaking, especially when I'm able to speak face to face with a person. This is my tool to try and accomplish letting things out. It's not my first choice. I would choose to speak to someone face to face first. I would choose to speak to the people who are involved face to face first, but some people don't want to give me their time or invest the amount of time that would help me get these things out. So again, this is kind of uh, the best option sometimes. So what was I even talking about? We were talking about microaggressions. And right now the whole world is kind of saying, mask up. Those microaggressions are real, and I don't disagree with them. But you have to take responsibility for your own health. And the amount of time that has passed before I do a lot of these things, I think, is adequate time to defend yourself against these microaggressions. But like I was saying with mold, if I have made it, if I've vocalized that I have and mold sensitivity, and I'm going into your residence or place of business, and you knowingly have mold, and you do not inform me, I mean, is that fraud? Is that an attack on my health, on my person? It's one of those questions that has to be asked. There's a lot of people with chemical sensitivities. If someone wears a perfume that gives someone a migraine and refuses to not wear that perfume, mean is that an aggression is that harming someone and this was displayed to me day one at the convention you know i kind of looked at it as tragedy of the commons i'll be brutally honest with you all these people are consenting to be in an environment where they i thought more than likely no matter what if COVID was like a thing to worry about, you know, that essentially there's no way to protect yourself. I mean, we're so, I don't know. thought it was going to happen if it was going to happen. I was trying to find where that line was with mask wearing, what was acceptable and what was not, because, you know, there are people who were consenting to hugging. I was one of those people. People wanted to get close to people in politics and hug and smile. I mean, I needed that kind of human inter interaction. There's a lot of other people who've been wanting that for so long too. And I mean, it happened. That's being human. You're with people you love, you want to hug them. That's what kind of the, the room was like. You know, a lot of people just wanted to be people around each other again. There were people who were taking it much more seriously than others. And had I been looking to their leadership all along, I might have had a mask on the whole time and been more diligent with it. But, you know, I'm I'm all over the place on this right now because I don't see I don't see an answer. It's something that has to be negotiated. You have to set up the rules of consent. And as far as like businesses go, any business that posts stuff, I'll wear a mask. Sometimes, you know, here in 
town, I didn't wear a mask as a protest because I also think that you also need to be human. It's one of those weird lines. It's really one of those weird lines. I don't know how to navigate it right now. Because if I take the mask wearing seriously, it goes in line with all these other microaggressions that I have. It's the same category as invisible aggressors. So like the first day I went in and I use essential oils on myself every once in a while. I enjoy the smell, it's uplifting, and there's even medicinal benefits in my mind to inhaling some of these essential oils. So I happened to put on um, some patchouli and some rose just to kind of cover up my smell because, you know, I was camping. I ended up camping this trip. I joined a, like an Uber or Airbnb for campsites and I camped on someone's property. You know, you find these private property owners who want to put you up and spent a lot less than a hotel and a flight, although, you know, I put in a lot of time and effort and money into driving. That might not have been the best thing, but, you know, I got to keep my road trips up. I like road trips. Road trips are where I feel alive. And if people don't want me road tripping, then would you rather have me sitting at home in my room, feeling like I want to, you know, end things, or or what? I mean, you're not coming out here to visit me to keep my spirits up. So if you're my friend and you're saying that I shouldn't be road tripping, but you're not talking to me or doing any of these things that are going to, you know, make me feel like a fulfilled human sitting at home and not experiencing the world like I want to, then I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say at this point. I've been testing my theories with consent out and testing my theories about how applicable my strategies are in the real world. And to me, I see evidence that they work. Like I said a while ago, I practice behavioral immunity, which is something that I think is superior to everyone just wears a mask. So, you know, I pay attention to people around me, their behaviors, and I kind of, you know, judge them and their health based on that. If I see people, I see people sneeze, cough all the time, and they don't do anything about it. I stay away from those people. You know, I was one of those people that was wearing a mask carrying on hand sanitizer long before all this stuff happened because I have my issues that I have to worry about. And having to navigate a public who doesn't think the way that I think with these microaggressions, you know, I had to learn on my own how to defend myself. And one of those tools that I used was behavioral immunity. I study people like there's things that I see in people that I know to stay away from to help protect me and my immune system. And one of those things, you know, with the chemical sensitivities, smell. If I smell something that might set me off, it's just like, okay, I got to go away. But with day one at the convention, I ran to someone else who had chemical sensitivities. And that patchouli and rose that I had been wearing was something that they didn't want to be around. And I noticed this through my behavioral immunity studies. You know, I was observing people around me and how they were reacting to everything. And I noticed that one of the people sitting near me would only put their mask on when I was walking by. So, you know, I masked up, went over to him, was like, I can't help but notice that 
uh, I keep going by you and you're putting your mask on specifically for me. And she's like, uh, are you wearing, I, th- I think I asked her if she had any chemical sensitivities or something, because I also worry about stuff like that and notice that I might be, you know, affecting her in some way. And she said, yeah, I, I smell something on you. And I told her, you know, I put patchouli on and then I got into, it wasn't really a conversation because we're participating. It was just a recess, but we kind of talked briefly about, you know, as someone else who understands chemical sensitivities, why I still wear it. She asked me that. I was like, well, and then I was basically, but I put a lot of thought into it. It's another one of those tragedy of the commons things. You know, you go out into the world and you are going to be hit with these health microaggressions. I joke around and say stuff about cats, all these other allergens, but I mean, seriously, if you own a cat and you have cat dander all over you and you are my friend, you may be impacting my health by being, by me being in your presence with that cat dander. That's a, that's, you know, very low on the possible acts of aggression as far as these microorganism aggressions go. But it's a thing, and it's something that publicly I don't see an answer to really right now. I mean, until everyone knows all of the things that hurt them physically and Health-wise, I mean, you can't really start flexing your rights. You can right now. What's happening is just flex rights in mass without being specific or objective about them. And all these aggressions are very subjective. This is objective aggression theory. When, as far as these microaggressions go, it should be subjective aggression theory. Because I do not have the same health concerns that other people have. And right now, there's a bunch of people with health concerns that are saying, hey, my health concerns trump everyone else's health concerns. And I say, fuck that. And again, as someone who has been navigating these microaggressions and microorganisms that might be taken as aggressors against individual healths, I get it. I get it. But it needs to stop. Because... I say if you are asserting these health rights and you continue to assert these health rights, we're all going to end up in masks and bubbles because there are so many of these aggressions in the world that it is impossible to determine what affects each person. I mean, I could go down the list of some other things that are potential microaggressions to me and my health and my body, and I just have to deal with it. I have to deal with it because the conversation's not there yet. And again, I don't know what the solution is. But you need to figure out the solution. But one of the big ones is, you know, I have tested positive for an electromagnetic frequency sensitivity. There's EMFs everywhere. I have tested positive to reacting to that. We are electrical beings. I don't know how valid that testing is. I don't live that principle just because I don't think I can know for sure right now, you know, the health industry is highly regulated. I know things don't get to the forefront of the public information as quickly as they should. And that a lot of stuff in this country is lagging behind where we're actually at because of regulations and things. 
but I have subscribed to, you know, Creating Balanced Health. They test a lot of different things, and one of the things I have tested positive for is an electromagnetic frequency uh, sensitivity. So anytime I go into a place with Wi-Fi, I mean, am I being aggressed upon? Do I need to just stay the fuck out in the middle of the woods? I don't think so. You know, something that I'm going to have to fight for, and I can't fight for yet because I just don't know where the, the science is at. And legit science, so that I can apply it to human beings, because even if you have the science, you can't just say the science is settled. You have to apply it to individual human beings. And I will say, if you apply your science to individual human beings, you're going to find that you're bullshit more times than not. You know, a lot of these scientific people trust the science. That's positivism. Um, That is a theory that, you know, this is the best idea until proven wrong. No, I mean, I can prove your theories wrong right now with individuals, but I'm not going to reach the 51% or whatever number you want to prove your theories. And that's one of the things is positivists are always willing to say, you know, but I believe in this, but, but, but there's no principle. The principle is that our ideas are the best thing that we have right now, but they are enforced like they're the only ideas, you know, um, I'm not doing a great job of describing positivism right now, but I will get into it later in a different podcast. But I don't believe in applying all these microaggressions to every individual. These microaggressions are subjective. COVID is subjective. Someone like me, who... I have a deficient immune system. Maybe I want to see where I'm at. Maybe I want to contract COVID. I'm a human being. I know that I don't have the right to protect myself from absolutely everything. It's the world. The world doesn't promise you any... It's, the rea- it's reality. Reality doesn't promise you safety. I know that there's things that I can't be protected from. It's just going to happen. If a meteor hits me in the top of the head, there's nothing I can do. And sometimes you're going to get sick. And there's nothing you can do about it. There's going to be new viruses. There's going to be new new health attackers all the time. And the best defense is to always just be as healthy as it can be. And I try and practice and preach that. I always try and be optimized. I know I'm not, but I try my best alongside managing all of my stresses. But it is a conversation. And I was part of a group this past weekend that, you know, has... that wants to see the conversation from a different angle. And I think that the conversation does need to be looked at from another angle. I think that the angle that I offer, that I have, is very absent from the conversations that I've heard so far. And like I said, even with a dog barking, with someone that has a very compromised nervous system, like I have had when, you know, I was going nuts at one point when my nervous system was really, really bad, where any loud noise 
would just set me off. I mean, how do you deal with people like me? What would you do to the homie sapien Jason? How do you deal with stuff like that? And I am telling you right now, it is a very, very slippery slope to doing some stuff that I think is bad news, super bad. And having gone through my issues as being an immune compromised person trying to protect myself against others, I think that the people in the world right now have gone too far. All the time. Can you imagine when uh, I actually had my like super bad nervous system stuff and I had to deal with that all the time? That's one of the reasons why I went crazy. Just couldn't deal with it. Couldn't deal with the loud noises. Any loud noise would just drive me absolutely insane. But it is what it is. I've consented to being here. I have to deal with it. Most I want to talk about this podcast. I want to say, you know, got some great leadership in. JBH, Joseph Bishop Henchman, new chair of the party, SAR works out, and I was happy that I was able to, you know, see Sarwork's next steps in life. He, uh, I saw him just glowing with joy holding a baby, and when I had talked to him in my private conversations, it was regarding his wife, because his wife was running for a position in the party, one of the at-large um, LNC representative positions, and she did get it. But one of the things that we talked about was family. He said, you know, I was doing all this, and Valerie supported me and was the mother of the family and the head of the family while I had to be the head of the, the LNC. And you should vote for her because if she can put up with me, she should be able to put up for, put up with all of you guys. That's kind of how it was summed up, but I'm excited for Nick to be a dad now because with him being chair of the party, I don't know how many opportunities he's had to be a father. And now that he is passing the torch to his wife, he gets to step back, have less responsibility in the party, and take on those responsibilities as a parent. And I saw him carrying a baby of one of the other uh, delegates, and he just had the biggest smile on his face. And I was like, this is awesome. Nick gets to be a dad now. And... It was so funny because he's totally part of the Libertarian Circle Jerk Caucus. You know, he was throwing insults at people. People are throwing insults at him. There's some bad blood. There's some venom in the party. That's politics. And he did some... He was he was defending none of these assholes. Uh, I mean, you know, a lot of people in the party wanted to unite, but politics isn't about unity, you know. One of the people that I looked to for leadership and was super skeptical about, it took like two days before he won me over, was the National Committee Representative for Region 6, which is the region that Minnesota falls in, John Phillips. And I started the hashtag, drink John Phillips water, because 
he's very he's very knowledgeable he's a great leader and one of the thing that i love about him is makes saying fuck acceptable you know he's i can't remember what his actual thing that he wrote on his name tag was but he's the guy in the room who's not scared to say fuck and i'm going to be a proud torchbearer of john phillips because fuck's a great word and it should be in politics and when you're talking about stuff that you're this passionate about you should be able to use that word you shouldn't pc it up you know for these issues that you're willing to fight and die for i get it i get you're trying to look you know nice to all the people sitting at home and you want to be professional politicians and everything but no when you believe in what you believe you got to say fuck sometimes and I'm going to be happy to be a torchbearer for uh for fucking politics. So it's great to see that kind of leadership. And he's a great parliamentarian, you know, he knows Robert's rules and that's one thing that I want to do is become more well versed in the actual procedural stuff. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out where I fit in in the party because I feel like had I been there in 2018, I would have possibly been up for one of these leadership positions you know i was recruited essentially by someone i'm in the party because of adam kokesh i'll firmly say that i started showing back up to politics because of adam for adam and then i met karen ann harlos i showed up for her specifically this past weekend she was one of the first people i think she was the first person that i met in the Colorado Libertarian Party. And when I went to my first meeting down there, she was the one that I talked to the most and was kind of most attracted to. You know, she's she wears pink. She's a secretary. Reminds me a lot of my mom. You know, my mom's the peacock secretary. So she was running for secretary and had a lot of people kind of against her. She was one of those people that you really needed to show up and vote for because it was on the fence. And I know the hard work that she puts in I can see it and I can see the passion and she earned my vote and she earned someone driving 1600 miles to go support her. Same with Josh Smith, who ended up not getting the LNC chair position, but is an LNC at large member. And then the third person I wanted to show up to support was Alex Merced, who during our Memorial Day convention he was the vice chair and he was essentially just thrown to the wolves when Sarwark was like, I'm not chairing this stuff. You're going to have to chair the, the in convention. I signed up for this weekend and I can't do it past then. I don't know if it was a dirty political move or not. I don't care. You know, facts were Alex had to step up as vice chair and he had to chair a national convention, and he kicked ass. He was awesome. He's one of those people in 2018 who had re started reaching out to me, and I probably would have became friends with, you know, at the 2018 convention. Same with Josh. It's like, in 2018, I could have been making inroads in the party with all these people, but I had my health issues. I didn't have any money. I couldn't show up. I wasn't there in 2018. I'm here now. Now I'm starting to know the party politics better. I feel like these are people that, you know, I can get behind with their leadership. I can consent into their collectivism. 
That's something that Alex had posted. Apparently he did a podcast. He has a podcast, which I haven't listened to, but he was talking about, you know, these the individualists and the collectivists. Because if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I will hold down individualism and I kind of say fuck you to collectives because I see the badness in collectives more than I see the good. And so he's a great person to balance me out. And it was really fun because I think, I don't know how many times it happened, but going in and out of the convention hall, I walked in and out with him a few times, just completely spontaneous and random. And, you know, I was able to try and kind of pump him up. I hope I wasn't getting his mind off of things that he needed to keep his mind focused on. I I was trying to be diligent in that way, in that manner. I just wanted to pump him up and kind of, you know, I was hoping to prepare him or at least have him feel like I didn't take away some of his thunder. I wanted to contribute to him being a kick-ass chair, and I didn't want to take away from anything that he might have been doing at the moment that would impede him from being a kick-ass chair. So I was trying to be diligent, but he was awesome. And there's a lot of awesome stuff that happened this past weekend. And one of the fun things that came out of it was the Buffalo Caucus. And I'll talk to you about that on the next episode of the Psycho Freakin' Friends. Peace out.